Welcome back, everyone. I'm absolutely delighted that joining us tonight is none other than Marissa Kivy, a 2018 Notre Dame graduate. Marissa served as a two-time Barackabouts captain and was the president of the club her senior year. She then also served as a coach for Barackabouts the following year while taking graduate classes. It's really, really great to be chatting with you today, Marissa. I am very excited to be here. That was quite a welcome. <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, and I've done this, I think, with each of the previous podcasts, thinking about what is an interesting fact about this boxer. And it struck me that for you, you, I believe, are the only boxer who I have cornered against when they were a boxer and then cornered with for a Bengal Bouts championship. Really? <laughs> What did you corner against me with, your so, sister? <laughs> so, I actually, I believe I cornered against you twice. Once in your freshman year, and then your final bout senior year when I was in Sid's corner. Mm, yes, always the finals, too. <laughs> it's intimidating to have uh, you in the corner against me, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I don't know about that, given all the success you had. And speaking of the success that you had in the bouts, you got your hand raised at the end on nearly every occasion, but you also seem to really enjoy a lot of what transpired outside the boxing ring. What was your, your favorite Barack Abouts memory apart from competition? Ooh, um, well, this is a really hard question because my social life and my boxing life were basically the same thing um, for most of my college career. Um, so it's hard. I would probably say one of the memories that sticks out the most from like all of my Brock Butts experience is during the banquet uh, my, my senior year when we were um, giving out awards Shannon came up to me, uh, my vice president, and she took the mic from me and they presented to me this gift that the captains had all joined together to buy me, which was 18 trees that they planted for me, which was the most thoughtful thing I think anyone's ever done because I do research with forests. So that was a really incredible thing because it was just a testament to both how well the boxing family knew me as a person, but also like how I don't know how much how important it was to me like through my whole time at Notre Dame. I remember that moment at the banquet and seeing how visibly moved you were when you found out that 18 trees were being planted in your honor. It still makes me kind of cry <laughs> when I think about it. I have the certificate still. I it was really it was a really good moment in my like my Notre Dame life but my boxing life for sure. It just struck me that Gosh, maybe 90 seconds into this conversation, and you were the closest to tears of any of the podcast <laughs> guests so far. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've cried a lot listening <laughs> to these podcasts. <laughs> Boxing is and will always be a really special thing for me. I think, yeah, I think that's been so beautiful for me, getting this opportunity to reconnect with boxers and just hearing about how no matter when they competed, no matter how much success they did or didn't have in the ring, it's just, it has had such an impact on them. And certainly I think that's a testament to the way in which all of you uh, threw yourself into the program so much. Yeah, I mean, it's 
boxing itself is very raw, right? Because you are, you're putting yourself into a situation that's, you know, uncomfortable and puts like puts you out of your comfort zone, something you'll probably never do again, right? And don't do regularly. So I think in that way, like you really grow very strong with the people around you. So yeah, that's, uh, and then you were you were very fortunate to I think during your tenure to be surrounded by some really exceptional women in your group of captains just had a remarkable leadership team continuing on this theme of of uh, life outside the ring what lessons have you taken with you in your post boxing career Ooh. well i think i've learned a lot through boxing but one of the qualities that I've gained through my experiences both in the ring and just as part of the club itself is just this sense of fearlessness and like self-confidence. I, in very like safe ways, I frequently indulge in this mindset that like if I can get in the ring, I can do anything. Like why can't I do this? And I have friends that have told me, you know, they're like, oh like they like they won't go on, they won't travel by themselves, they won't go on blind dates. They won't um, try a new sport or try any new activity alone because they don't want to look dumb or they don't want to be bad at something. And I just don't, I have no idea why. I never know why. I'm like, why are you afraid? <laughs> and I don't know. I think boxing has just like taught me that I can take up more space, even though I'm 5'3". I can take up more space in the world because, you know, I have strength both physically and also mentally, you know? I love that. I love that. Uh, I, I found that during these last couple of, uh, really, I guess this is interview number eight, I found that so often the better an answer a person gives, or the more moved I am by an answer a person gives, the more I have just no idea what to say. <laughs> and just hearing, <laughs> and hearing you talk about just this notion of I can take up more space, like I, I think that's just such a, a powerful message. I want to continue on this topic. You mentioned your fearlessness and you were a, a hockey player, I guess maybe, perhaps still are a hockey player. I don't know. Uh, once a hockey player, always a hockey player. In Minnesota, yes, where there are lots of ponds. Yes. During COVID, no, but yeah. <laughs> well, you had this hockey background and I think you exuded this, this fearless attitude. And I'd be curious in your your preparation for bouts what was that mental preparation like how did you get yourself ready before a competition i i think you're going to be disappointed with my answer uh so i tried a lot of different things boxing preparing for a boxing match is a lot different than preparing for any other sporting event especially with you know a tournament setting because you have fans and you have all these people that worked alongside you so I tried a lot of things. I tried visualization. I looked at old bouts of mine. I did pump up videos, you know, with like, you know, Fort Minor songs. <laughs> I tried, you know, warming up with mitts, but actually, and don't try this at home, what I ended up doing, you know, I just would feel sick all day. What I would do is I would just avoid thinking about it <laughs> for a lot of the day. I would put it off. I would just try to get through, just get through all of my things because I knew that when it came down to it, it doesn't matter like what I had you know, done in the hours before my match. I had worked so hard up until this point that I would get my headgear on, 
I would tell myself to get out there, make myself proud. And I would actually drink a bunch of coffee right before. And I'd go out and I would do exactly what I had been practicing for months. And that was kind of my mindset. Uh, granted, it's, it's good to be warm and I will get warm, but like mentally, I, there's just so much, so much going on in my brain that sometimes I just had to turn it off <laughs> and just let my hands do what I had worked to you know, teach them to do. So <laughs> not a beautiful answer. But <laughs> well, so this Fort Minor uh, song, I'm guessing you, you may have reached the conclusion that it was 10% uh, luck. 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will. 30% coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, he's exactly the song I was uh, thinking. Yeah, that's 50% uh, yeah, pain and then 100% reason to remember the name. Minnesota monster. <laughs> I'm kidding. Wait, was um, that your nickname? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I... I just think that it was so exhausting to, you know, try to prep yourself that it's exhausting enough to do three rounds. You might as well just give yourself a break until you can't anymore, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. I think so often you see boxers who they already have an opponent across the ring from them and they have to spend so much energy competing against that person that they then spend all this other energy fighting themselves mm -hmm. or fighting whatever fears they might have. And so I think that's, yeah, that's a really wise approach that you adopted to like, I'm just going to focus on, on a thing that's going to require a lot of focus. Yeah. I would just find people to talk to like in the Danky ballroom until like the last second I would just be talking <laughs> because it just, yeah, like you said, I wasn't going to try to, um, you know, conquer something until I, it had to, you know, until it was the actual, boxing match so it's not for everyone but it worked for me <laughs> you you had as i mentioned you had a ton of success in the ring your reputation as a boxer was of someone who had tremendous footwork great hand speed and yet i would imagine and in the light of what you shared too that you were not without doubts at different points during your boxing career could you talk a little bit about when you experienced doubt and then how you work to respond to them well? Yeah, so my instant reaction is max ton up. This is like <laughs> the first reaction I had to when I experienced doubt. But I would say in a more um, serious tone, I actually, I think I experienced the most doubt when I was in a leadership role. You know, when you are, you're a member of the club, you can show up and you are responsible for yourself. You are, you know, you're part of the club, but your responsibilities are more personal. And as soon as you're, I stepped into a leadership role, now I had to, you know, be a face for the club, especially as the president. And so when I had to start speaking at practices, that was by far when I experienced the most doubt. I had to give a speech during my senior year brockabouts and I literally told me, I was like, I would rather compete three times than get up in front of the room. And I loved the club and I would have done anything for it, but that was just, it was a lot of weight. And that was when I felt the most doubtful of myself and my role. And to respond to your the second part of that question, I think 
what ended up actually helping me overcome that was this need to, well, this is my role and I love this club. <laughs> so I got up there, my hands are shaking noticeably with my little speech, but I, it was, you know, every part of it was worth it. And I was so blessed to be in the role. So I wasn't going to let myself be afraid of it. It hits me time and time again, how there's this journey that boxers go through and then the younger boxers in the club who then ascend to these leadership positions, they have no idea <laughs> that the, the captains before them were experiencing this because there's this perception like, oh, they're so calm, they're so cool. They've got their stuff so together and mm -hmm. that's not me. And yet time and time again, you hear these stories of, I was so nervous to do this or I felt this imposter syndrome or I just wish people could know early on, like, even these, these incredible captains, they don't have it all together. It's okay. Oh, yeah. I also was very blessed because I had my junior year to kind of transition into the role. And as a, you know, as a junior captain, you have a little bit less responsibility. But I can't even imagine just, you know, walking into a senior, like, captain role. It'd be really hard. And yet people do it every year, and they do it really, really well. Yeah, the people in this club just, uh, they never fail to amaze me. Because you've listened to the podcast before, you know that uh, one of these segments is the, the hot seat. And so I am going to set a timer here and put about 60 seconds or so on the clock. Okay. It <laughs> reminds on. me of Family Feud. I was always really good at that. I am <laughs> oh, a big, big Family Feud fan. Okay away we go roller coasters or water park roller coaster easy what is your favorite <laughs> word banana i don't know <laughs> rock or country country favorite cereal oatmeal <laughs> food truck or diner diner Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Favorite pump-up song? Run This Town. What is something that you think is wildly overrated? TikTok. <laughs> what is your dream vacation? Um, probably like a cabin in the woods. Favorite yeah. thing about your hometown? Uh, the bakery I used to work at. And finally, do you believe in ghosts? Yes, obviously. It <laughs> <laughs> was so, hard. <laughs> you, you, you got off the hot seat. Favorite um, word? What? <laughs> uh, so fun fact about that, that question. So I used to help out with some ACE interviews. And I really enjoyed asking English majors that question. And it wasn't an evaluative question. It just was really, really interesting for me to hear a person who reads a lot of books and does a lot of writing. They love words. What's their favorite? And someone responded with his favorite word. And then the other interview, interviewer followed up with, what does that mean? And then he couldn't define it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but it ended up working out great. It was, he handled it very well. And he was honest. He was like, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Fun to uh, say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's like asking a math major their favorite number. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question next that, that no other 
interviewee has received this question because it's very, very specific to you. And it's one of my favorite stories of any of the times when Brittany and I have had the opportunity to host boxers for a meal. Could you tell a little bit about the story of who you affectionately dubbed, you and your friends, CrossFit Man? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so there was this man that lived next to me in my townhouse my senior year. And he was very, very serious about his fitness. And so I, we, you know, we'd wake up on Saturday mornings often to the sound of people, someone dropping large weights on the ground and it would literally shake our house. And then, so I'd get, you know, I'd get up cause I was awake now and I go outside and I'd see this man doing laps just around the compound, just running around. And I don't remember, and we've called him CrossFit man cause it was funny and he was always very persistent about his routines and he was loud. And he had a really nice setup in his garage. And we were sitting at dinner and I don't, I don't know why it came up. I think, how did that come up? Was it that you were telling me that you knew someone who lived in Dublin Village that had a, a nice like gym in their garage? It may have been that, and then that transitions to this story. Um, well, lo and behold, come to discover that CrossFit Band, as they affectionately dubbed him, is actually one of my very best friends <laughs> and that I've trained in his gym on occasion. He no longer lives in South Bend. He has moved to Washington, D.C. But it was just, it, it warmed my heart hearing this story about this, uh, this guy who is so committed to fitness. Yeah, he was a legend and it was not even just my house. Like we had other friends in the, in the housing development that also knew who he was. And so he, he was our leader, <laughs> our fitness leader. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure that's what uh, that's what college students love on a on a Saturday morning after they've clearly gotten a good ten hours of sleep the night mm -hmm. before, to awake at eight or nine a.m. to the sound of plates being dropped on the ground and probably some good grunting and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> makes you feel really good about yourself when you, you're sitting in there eating your pancakes watching oh. it work out. Yeah, no. What's his name? His name is Matt. Okay. All right. Yes. CrossFit Matt. Matt Rhodes is one of my, my very closest friends. We share a love of working out and um, he uh, he's known for his intensity. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the most unexpected, but then delightful stories to have emerged <laughs> from that dinner conversation. Very unexpected. <laughs> Transitioning back to boxing a little bit. <laughs> Speaking of the unexpected, what is it that you would say like, so many people just don't get about Barackabouts? They might have this conception in their head of what the program is like, and it's just not reflective of reality. What's what's that biggest misconception to you? So I think there are a lot of misconceptions that I've heard, but the one that I have gotten the most, especially as someone who was very serious about boxing from the get-go of my freshman year, is that you have to be a hardcore athlete to compete in it and to be good at boxing and to succeed in the program itself. And I like to tell people, I learned how to sweat in boxing. Prior to boxing, yes, I played hockey, but I 
I would not have pegged myself like a fitness person. I could, you know, I, did, I never did more than five push-ups in an, in an hour, you know, and I actually, for the first time in my life, actually dripped sweat while boxing. And so we had women join the program who had never exercised before. We had women who joined the program who had never been in a contact sport before. And they all were successful in the program because the program teaches you more than just boxing. It teaches you hard work. It teaches you teamwork. It teaches you self-discipline. And it's all in this community of women that just are supportive and encouraging and it's not intimidating at all. It's actually, it's really, it was easy for me and maybe it's not easy for everyone, but I personally was, it was very easy for me to learn self-discipline and when I first joined the club, just because of the community that is the Women's Boxing Club. I think that's such a great line and perhaps should be communicated at every introductory meeting going forward when people are asking or wondering what are they going to get out of this club is that they're going to learn how to sweat. And that has such broad applicability to, mm -hmm. to whatever it is they're doing, whether it's schoolwork or their job or like the ability to learn how to work hard to the point that you're going to sweat a little bit. And in some cases, you're going to sweat a lot. And that's a good thing. Yeah, you're going to sweat so much that your hands are going to slide around on the ground <laughs> when you're planking. Yeah, there's this misconception that it's going to be really hard, but it's really hard. But everyone around you is there doing the same thing. And together, it's not hard. Mm. It's just what you're doing. And it's fun. Along those lines, with being surrounded by a lot of good people, boxers, while they are competing in an individual sport, they are not alone throughout the course of this journey. Who is someone who supported you and perhaps even in an unexpected way over the course of your four years boxing in Brockabouts? That is also a hard question. I had so many wonderful people that I met through boxing that I, I'm i gonna actually give you an answer and it's a group of people. <laughs> I would say that I have, you know, if I were looking back on the four years of boxing that when which I competed, it has to be the group of captains that I worked with my senior year. I had worked with a different group of captains the year before. And so, and that was a wonderful group. And we all were, we all got along very well. But this group of captains just went above and beyond the expectation that I had set and that we had set as a club, I think, in terms of how we interacted, how we supported one another, how we all you know, were dedicated to a certain role within that captain group. And even more than that, we were like a family. We would have captain meetings where we would do a rosebud thorn at the beginning of every meeting. And it took 50 of the 55 minutes of our meeting to catch up because everyone just wanted to you know, talk about what's going on in other people's lives. And I still, I talk to a lot of those captains still. They're some of my closest friends. And I just was not expecting that going into my senior year to just find this, this family of these women that just were so supportive of me, both as a boxer, as a leader, and as a person. And it was, I'm gonna cry. It was really, it was really a, a great season and partially because of that. It's evident that that was such a great season in the way in which the current boxers talk about that. And they talk about your leadership and, and I believe you're the only person who uh, two guests have mentioned as uh, during the, the shout outs, mentioning like, 
Marissa made a really big impact on my time as a boxer. I'd be curious, Marissa, looking back now, it's, gosh, what, I guess, um, two years since you last competed in the ring. What do you hope your legacy as a captain was? One of the things that I had made one of my biggest goals going into my presidency, my term as president, my senior year, was I wanted to learn every boxer's name. And this was just something that I thought was really important. And it was more than just learning their name for me. And what I found as I as the season went on, it was learning not only their name, but also why they're part of the club, what, what their strengths were, what their fears were. And it was just a way for me to try to take advantage of all the different members of the club because every single person had something to offer. So it's not just getting to know the best boxers. It's not just getting to know, you know, the people who hang out um, on the, at the pit a lot. It's not the leadership group. It's not the people that were close to me in age. It was everyone because each and every one of those people contributes something to the club, the club culture itself. And I think at the end of the year, I didn't know everyone's name. There were a lot of people that come and go throughout the season, but I really do feel like I was able to get to know the boxing club that year and really kind of show them who I was, but also get to know the club as a larger whole. And I think that that is something that I really hope captains take forward in the club as the seasons, as you know, as time progresses, is this idea that it's not just about the boxing, it's about this larger boxing family. That is what makes the club happen. It's what makes the club successful, both in the fundraising, in the competition section of what the club is doing. It's all important. And I think that that is something that I really hope they take forward. Well, I, I think because of your impact on them and this kind of, uh, I think the club, everyone, everyone stands on the shoulders of giants. And just as you stood on the shoulders of boxers, the captains, the presidents before you, I think they're absolutely doing that right now. Um, and as I mentioned, two of the, the current captains called you out specifically by name as someone who was really, really influential during their experience. And um, so I know you gave a little bit of a general answer when talking about people who supported you, but as we reach this uh, final round, if there are two people you might like to call by name to acknowledge them because of the critical role that they played during your uh, four years in the club, uh, I'd love to hear who they were. So I guess this is kind of, it's not really a coincidence, I guess, but my first corner I would choose is that kind of <laughs> uh, would be Dan, my friend Dan Wilborn, who was my first corner my senior year. Dan was this guy that was in the pit a lot the year, the summer before my senior year. I had no idea who he was, not a clue. I was abroad my spring of my junior year during the Bengal season and I didn't know who he was. He was always there though. And we became friends. We started working out together and lo and behold, he became not only one of my closest friends, but my corner, my training partner, one of the most supportive people I've ever, I, I have in my life. And I couldn't have done my senior year season without him. And I hope he knows that he was, he, he dedicated a lot of time to my training and to just being there for me when the club was so stressful for me at times. And he was really important to that. And then I think number two, who he wasn't ever anyone's corner, but 
I would choose uh, Nate Walker. I'd like to give him a shout out. I like to tell people, and <laughs> Nate, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I like to tell people that Nate is like my weird Notre Dame uncle. Like <laughs> he, he is like, he became this person in my life that I could go to for anything. And, and I still talk to him. He's, he's become someone like really important in my life. And honestly, he's part of the reason I actually stayed in the club. I had had a really tough spar against a captain my freshman year. And I'll never forget it. He pulled me aside and he, you know, talked to me about what he saw that was good. He critiqued a couple of my, well, a lot of the things I was doing, but he made me feel seen in a way that I don't think, I don't know if he knows. And that's the reason why I ended up getting back in the ring. And, and from there, he, you know, after my senior year, he was, you know, he's so important in the club and he, I honestly couldn't have done it without him. So shout out to Nate, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out if, if Nate is a listener. I'm sure he will be really, really touched to hear, hear you say that. And you mentioned earlier that when it comes to Barack Bouts, all of it is important. And so one of those things you hit on was the fundraising component. They are a Approaching the home stretch, it's very possible that by the time this episode is posted, they will kind of be done with the official <laughs> fundraising uh, portion of their season. But for those who might be listening and are interested in seeing their progress, we do have a, a link available um, in the this episode, the show notes, if, uh, if people are interested in seeing what they've raised to this point. As of as of this evening, I believe they're just at just over $60,000, which is going to be matched by the Wallahan Family Foundation, which is going to mean over $120,000 being sent to the Holy Cross missions in Uganda. Just absolutely, absolutely remarkable. But um, it's very possible, Marissa. I don't know. It's possible that you're going to be the last guest of the season. No! <laughs> <laughs> so whether that is the case or not, really just a heartfelt thank you not only for making the time tonight, but for the many, many ways in which you just so fully threw yourself into the club and clearly made such a big impact on the lives of uh, a lot of Notre Dame women. Honestly, Matt, thank you for the opportunity for me to finally talk about boxing again. <laughs> my senior year, I stopped talking about with my friends because it's all I talked about. This has been an awesome opportunity to dive back into that really special place in my heart. <laughs> so thank you. The pleasure is all mine, but we'll see. There will be a next time of some sort. Um, until next time, hope everyone has a great day and, uh, and stay tuned for more. Bye, y'all. Bye.